Hi, folks, and welcome to the Coffee Geek Podcast, episode 31. For uh, what's the date today? Today is January 14th. So we'll call it the 15th by the time I get okay. this online. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm Mark Prince, your host and the senior editor of editor of coffeegeek.com, and I really appreciate everyone for tuning in. This show is all about the quality of coffee and what it can be, and not about the buzz. Emails, if you want to contact us and send us your notes, your kudos, your your complaints, your criticisms, your questions, whatever, send them off to podcast at coffeegeek.com, or you can call us at area code 206-965-8185, or reach us on Skype, search for the Coffee Geek username, and leave us voicemail. Uh, we almost never answer the Skype account or the phone, so it's just for voicemail, and if you have any audio questions you want to leave us, that's where you contact us. And um, as always, we remind you about podcastalley.com. If you haven't done so yet this month and you like the show, go over to podcastalley.com, search for Coffee Geek, find the show, vote for us, get us up there in the rankings each month. We really appreciate when you do it. And you can also leave comments there. And if you haven't done this yet and you have iTunes, look for us in the iTunes store. Uh, we're in the food section. I think we're ranked pretty high. I think right now in the U.S. store, we're third or fourth. But always... More subscriptions mean higher ranking and more people hear about good coffee. So if you haven't subscribed yet through iTunes, do so. And uh, one more note, if you want to find out show notes uh, for each and every show, we do do them. Actually, we have someone named Cindy, who's a Coffee Geek member, who does it for us. And she does an amazing job. She even time codes all the major points that are made in a podcast. And that goes up a day or two later after the podcast. They can be found in two places. One is in the Coffee Geek forums in the podcast section. And the other one is at coffeegeek.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. All right. So you heard a voice earlier, and I'm going to introduce her. It's Angie Loaf from JJ Bean. Hi, Angie. Hello. <laughs> and Angie, you, uh, first of all, uh, let's see who you are. You're the trainer, uh, the head trainer at JJ. You bet. So you train all their staff. You bet. I train all the staff for JJ Bean, and I also train all our wholesale customers as well, because we have a few hundred wholesale cafes oh, that very- use our coffee. Very cool, very cool. And uh, but that's that's not why you're on the show today. Even though we'd love to have right. you on the show anytime as, <laughs> as a head trainer, maybe we will later for just talking about training techniques. The reason why you're on the show this time is because you just got back from Ethiopia. Yes. And <laughs> wow. And you didn't even go there for you weren't there specifically for coffee. You, why don't you explain why you were in Ethiopia? Yeah. Well, uh, I wasn't there. Through JJ Bean, per se, um, I was there because my mom has been living there or had been living there for about five months. She was working as a kindergarten teacher, as a volunteer. And yeah, I just went out there to visit her and travel around with her afterwards. Just so. very cool. So, so wow. Is this your first time in, in, a, in an African country? It was. Yep. First time to Ethiopia. Also went to Kenya as well. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> tasted some amazing coffee in both countries, actually, and uh, visited a coffee plantation in the Harar region of Ethiopia. Or as my friend Nick likes to say, <laughs> how do they pronounce it locally? I they would say they would roll the R slightly. So <laughs> it wasn't quite like that, but it was it was like uh, Harar. And they, <laughs> <laughs> they call uh, they call the people of the region who are actually very well liked all over Ethiopia. Incidentally, known as a very peaceful pe- uh, people, they are uh, 
Muslim and Christian Orthodox, uh, both residing in the same region there and both getting along very peacefully. So very cool. they call them Harari people. <laughs> we should all so. strive to be Harari people. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a really excellent example to the rest of the world. Yeah. Wow. So, so uh, you're there. Obviously you're visiting your mom and you're experiencing probably massive culture shock. Yeah. You yeah, I, I would have to admit it. I think I didn't really realize it at first, but even now looking back, yeah, yeah. It's a very, very different place from Canada. <laughs> How is it for women there, by the way? Actually, it's great. Yeah, it? no no problems there. Um, yeah, it's not the type of country where women are expected, to, uh, at least not from what I saw, where where women are expected. Because I've been to, to Tunisia, and I, I, you know, this was a while ago. It was uh, 14, 15 years ago now. Okay. But uh, I, just women were not treated well. Okay, you know, yeah. Be it tourists or the locals. Definitely as a tourist, no problems at all. Awesome. And I didn't see or hear... Uh, of any problems from any of the local women that I spoke with. Oh, very so, cool. So it seems like it's it's decent for women. So yeah. before we get into the coffee aspect of your trip, and I really want to talk about everything coffee, um, any cultural sort of highlights that stood out for you outside of coffee? Definitely. The whole time I was in Ethiopia, I did not hear a pop song, be it American or European. So no mashups? <laughs> no mashups at all, except for the only exception was when I was in northern Ethiopia um, in a taxi. There was a guy who had a really, really old Celine Dion tape. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, oh, no. But, uh, but outside of that, um, <laughs> I heard chanting, both uh, Christian Orthodox chanting every morning as well as Muslim chanting, um, and then just lots of Ethiopian music. I don't um, want to sound ignorant, but is Ethiopian or Christian Orthodox chanting, is it anything like Gregorian chant? It's not quite. It's style. I don't even know myself quite how to explain it, but it's usually done, I'm assuming, in the Amharic language, because that's the most uh, widely used language in Ethiopia. And it's, I don't know, I guess it's a little more, I don't know, it's not quite exactly like Gregorian chanting. Oh. I don't know how to describe it. I oh, okay. Well, so that that was like the biggest sort of cultural surprise you had? No that, pop music, no Western music? Yeah, that and no toilet paper anywhere. Oh, yes. Well, you know, that's, you know, when I traveled in Europe, you know, 15 years ago, there was no toilet paper in a lot of places in Europe either. Well, there you go. There you go. So you had to pack your own. Yeah, I had to pack your own. Bring along the baby wipes. That's right. Yeah. And, uh... The other thing was in Harar particularly, um, they're not seemingly not very. Wait, wait, wait a second. Uh, to back up. Yeah. The, the, no toilet paper anywhere can't be a cultural highlight for you. No, no. Yeah. I think it would be a low light, I <laughs> <Yeah>. guess. <laughs> it's part of the culture shock. Yeah. So getting back to highlights, though. Okay. Is there uh, any other thing that stood out, like artisan things, uh, way people live their lives or just, you know, moved, did things? Is there anything that stood out? Uh. Well, I already mentioned the the peacefulness of the yeah. people from Harar. That was very impressive um, and definitely a highlight. How about ways of dress or things like that? Were uh, things surprising? Uh, there were a lot of women who wore kind of like a scarf or veil-like thing. Not everyone, yeah. but there was a fair bit of that. Uh, the, Is there a lot of color in the clothes? Yes, yes. a lot of bright colors worn. Um, there's a group of people who live right near... Harar, or I guess part of the Harar region, that are called the Oromo people, and they dress in very, very bright colors, and 
what they do as villagers is they, at least when we were there, they were busy collecting sticks, not even really like logs, but these big long sticks from trees, uh, must be branches, I guess, that they would pile on their heads and uh, carry into the center of Harar where they would sell them for three or four burr a bundle, which is probably... A burr? What is that? Burr is the money there. Okay. And that is probably equivalent to, oh, about a quarter in Canadian. So four burr is about a quarter. Yeah, thereabouts. thereabouts, So then 12 is about a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, wow, I mean, just amazing. You know, most of my recent... I've never been to Ethiopia... And I have to admit that a lot of my impressions of Ethiopia are partially clad from some people in the coffee business I know who've gone there, who have been to some of the poorest, most destitute regions. And also the book, The Devil's Cup, uh, which is a book about a guy's travels through African coffee producing regions. And he also got really into the underbelly of those societies. Like he was going into the drug dens. And I know that one thing I always thought, and maybe you can tell me if this was your impression or not, um, I got the impression that over the last 10 years or so, there was a real problem with a drug called Quat, or it's a thing that they chew all yeah, the time. Yeah, they, they called it Chat. Chat, that's yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, yeah particularly in the region of Harar, tons of people were seen chewing Chat. Yeah. And our hotel, actually, when you would step out on the balcony and look down, we were directly above a chat market. Wow. Like this little strip of the public market area that was devoted to the buying and selling of chat. Is this a Very problem noisy. or is this their equivalent of alcohol? Some people seem to see it as a problem because I guess what happens uh, is that you get quite buzzed. Um, some people said like drinking a lot of coffee or possibly even like uh, cocaine getting quite quite a buzz and then you tend to get really lazy yeah. after that so that you So it's not good for society. No. As a no, whole. No. I definitely our guide, we had a guide in Harar and he was saying, "Oh, you know, chat, it's a waste of time. Makes you lazy." Basically. Uh, so So kind of like marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah, the high sounds a little different yeah. than marijuana, but high yeah. is different, but the result, at the yeah. end of the day, Lazy. you're both lying around flipping channels on the television there you or, go. or just, you know, talking to your buddies. <laughs> Whoa, dude. See over at the Harar Hotels. I, I can't do I can't do a guy on chat. So so it is a bit of an issue, you think, too? Well, yeah, I guess um, it probably depends on your perspective. But certainly for me, I saw it as a as a downside to things because, um, for one thing, a lot of farmers who had been growing coffee are, are now growing chat, chat I've instead. I've heard that. that's the other thing, too, is that they moved to two things, a, a kind of plantain banana that doesn't really produce any nutrients at all, oh, but it's okay. easy to grow. Oh. And and over to chat because it's very profitable. There you go. You know. Yeah. Um. And I knew that like with um this was a problem leading right up till about 2002, especially because of the 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 record low coffee prices that the world had faced. But since 2002, we've been on a really good rebound, and I know it's really slowed down that that sort of evacuate or not evacuation what's the word the uh the conversion from a coffee farm to like a chat farm or to i forget what that thing is it's like a banana but it has absolutely no nutrients whatsoever it's just insanely easy to grow i don't know if i'm familiar with it's like it, start it's a starch food okay 
I, I, again, when I, I wrote an article a few years ago about how the coffee crisis was impacting on, on, and in my research, I, I found out that the two main things that were happening in places like Ethiopia, uh, was this, this shift of crops to like either high profit sort of, by the way, is chat illegal? I guess it isn't. I take it it's not. Especially no, I, in fact, I know it's not because that's right. We asked somebody and the government does take a cut in taxes oh, from chat boy. sales. Yeah, the government there, uh, a lot of people had problems with, though. I definitely uh, call that corruption here. But frankly, I think that marijuana sales should be legal and the government should tax the crap out of it. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> you know. My worry is just that the same thing will happen with tobacco where they put like rat poison mixed in with yeah. <laughs> with marijuana but oh yeah. my gosh anyway. <laughs> so anyways now now that's enough about culture let's talk coffee so Yay. what was your what was your first um coffee experience when you arrived in ethiopia the first serious one well my first real coffee experience would have been um just shortly after i'd arrived in the capital city of addis ababa and uh my mom and i went to visit a friend of hers itiish um who shout out to itiish <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we actually have a listener in ethiopia oh no way i got an email from someone who who is in addis ababa and she, uh, she downloads the podcast there you go yeah so, so yeah shout out right. to addis <laughs> <laughs> peace out <laughs> sorry so you're in ethiopia and yeah and we went over to itiish's house and her worker uh, did the coffee ceremony for us. I've heard about this. So it was the first time that I had experienced this. So it was uh, very exciting. Walk us, t- tell my listeners what, uh, what, what this involves. So what it involves is you have to have a certain amount of green coffee. Um, you've also got a, an incense burner because they're quite into covering up the smell of the roasting coffee, which I thought was a little strange, but this yeah. is the tradition. And then there's also another little burner sort of coals in a bowl basically it's nothing fancy upon which you're going to roast the coffee in a little pan and then you've also got a little area like a tray that has the coffee cups on it the coffee cups on it and a coffee pot one of those traditional ethiopian coffee pots if anybody's seen those they'll know what i'm talking about once you've got all your gear together you heat up the coals you've got your incense burning you put the green on the little pan and just basically churn, churn, churn. You're just uh, allowing them to uh, to stir and move around in the pan as you're uh, cooking them over and the coals. How long does it take to roast the coffee, that method? They spent probably, well, I'd say a good seven, eight minutes. Oh, I that's mean, pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a very small amount of green, yeah. but at the same time, a lot of our roasts, you know, will typically, if you're, depends on the color you're opting for, I suppose, you know, a roast can sometimes be accomplished within eight minutes. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, but that is fast. I mean, yeah. you know, wow. So so the roasting, stirring, that's... And what are you doing as part of the ceremony during this time? Just talking and chatting? Yeah, we're just talking. And, um, of course, for me, I was so excited. I was there with my camera and... and, uh, and and uh, interacting a bit with the worker who was who was doing the roasting and watching her, seeing what roast color she was opting for, and uh, it was a rather dark color. In fact, I was surprised, uh, being that the roast was just let's say eight minutes, um, that the coffee got as dark as it did. That that uh, so, coal uh, pot must have been really hot. It probably was. <laughs> it probably, so, over 450. It could, could have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard to say. But, so uh, they're they're done roasting, and how do they cool it down? 
Um, no real fancy cooling down going on. Um, just basically uh, throw it into this other uh, sort of a, a cylinder type container that uh, they then take outside and they have another blunt object that fits perfectly inside this cylindrical tube that the coffee beans are now in. And this is all handmade though, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. She just, the way she grinds it. Is no, she, I mean, these devices are also handmade. Oh, I believe so. Yeah. 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 So sorry to interrupt. You said the perfect cylinder and then. So basically how she grinds it is just, she slams this blunt object against the beans that are in this cylinder. So she's pulverizing them. Just pulverizes yeah. it. That's it. Yeah. And she just does that over and over and over again. So so I guess basically the coffee is cooling as it's being ground oh, or pulverized. Interesting. Yeah. And then what happens next? So then she uh, brings the ground coffee or pulverized coffee <laughs> back into the house and puts them into the pot. And I guess, oh, yeah. And so I had forgotten that. I guess while she was outside pulverizing the coffee, the water had been heating on okay. the coals. I missed that part. So, yeah. yeah. So, by the time she comes back... The water's heated. The water is, yeah, basically boiling or kind of simmering, you know. And, yeah, uh, puts the coffee, ground coffee, directly into the pot. Hot water on top. So, there's no deoxidizing, degassing rather going on. No, no. Just uh, immediate brewing and... Uh, Wait. Then she waits yet another four or five minutes before she pours the coffee into the little cups, the very tiny little cups. And is it so? It's uh, is it anything like Turkish coffee? Are they doing a boil, a no boil? It's just no steep time, like a press, but or more like a cupping. More like a cupping. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Does she break a crust or anything? Because there must be a lot of gas releasing off of that ground coffee. Well, you know what's interesting is, uh, yeah, there no breaking of any crust because she's put um, the grounds into this pot. She actually doesn't touch the the coffee once she's put the uh, mm. the grounds into the pot and the hot water on top. That's ah. it. Like that, then it's just pouring. It has the pot has a very tiny little spout. And uh, so, therefore, it holds, I guess, the... It holds back holds the back grounds, most of them. grounds, yeah. And so, when you... What about spices? Anything else? Do they do No that? spices. Because uh, I've heard a lot of the Ethiopian ceremonies involve a lot of things like cardamom or anise yeah, or things like that. I experienced the coffee ceremony three times, and on none of those occasions did they use any uh, spices that I saw. Yeah. They, they do love sugar, though. I personally didn't take sugar in my coffee but everybody else seemed to just be <laughs> loading it in <laughs> so. so that was cool so then she serves out the cups and is there a ritual to that as well or um i have some more learning to do because i understand that there is uh, a, a sort of a, a symbolism behind these different steps but mm. i actually don't know what that is yet so and who who that. got who was served first the guests um guests first my mom first being the eldest, the eldest. And then myself, and then, yeah, the head of the household, the lady, Atiyah. Wow. And here's and the taste. burning question. How did it taste? It was excellent. And it was just like the combination. Of, I always feel the coffee can, even great coffee can taste better depending on the situation. Oh, you're absolutely. Drinking. So yeah, you were just blown away. Well, I was blown away. And yeah. I think part of the reason I was so blown away, not only by the whole experience itself, but I was skeptical as to how good it was going to taste, being that it had just been roasted in, obviously, a rather 
primordial (laughs) type fashion. Um, And well, but the main thing actually, it wasn't even just the the roasting. I thought, well, fair enough. It looks like a nice, even roast, whatever. But uh, the fact that it hadn't degassed, I'm just so accustomed to us letting a coffee degas for at least 24 hours that I thought, oh, I don't know how good this is really going to (laughs) be. So much to my surprise. Yeah. I I found that, uh, you know, as long as you're not dealing with espresso, Mm-hmm. Um, I find that degassing isn't so much of an issue with brewed coffee or steep coffee um, because you get that bloom. Now, you probably couldn't even see it in the container, but I bet you it was happening, mm-hmm. that there was probably a major bloom happening. The, yeah, there must have yeah. been. Must have, yeah, where it gets really bubbly and foamy yeah. inside that pot. But, yeah, it's a black pot, so you can't see it. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that with drip or brew or press or whatever, with press is a bit of an issue just because you may overflow your press there's so much gas leaving the ground, but for the actual brew coffee, I've I've never real I've never really noticed a ma- like a major enough problem with it. It's only with espresso because so much of the oils are transported through the crema and and, and all that massive amount of CO2. There's that you create this this bloom in an espresso cup where it dissipates most of the crema within the first minute or so. That's where it's a problem because we're losing all these aromatics to the air. That's right. But I think it's it's not so much a problem with brewed coffee yeah it certainly didn't seem to be a problem there and i also wondered if the fact that it was a slightly darker roast if that helped in some way true too and hey how about the fact that maybe their beans you know they they haven't been sitting in a warehouse for you know six months (laughs) and (laughs) and and, you know they were processed differently maybe i don't know maybe they sucked just sucked on the cherry and took the, the beans out who knows who knows how how those i bet you they weren't processed the same way though that the typical stuff we get over here is. Yeah, yeah. And it could make a major difference, you know? Yeah. They could have had a higher moisture content to start with. Who knows? Yeah. Who but knows? it just sounds cool. So so that was the that was that was one experience. Now, what else did you do? Did you go to any farms in Ethiopia? I did. In the region of Harar. Okay. Um I insisted that we go. I said, Mom, if I'm coming to Ethiopia, we must go to a plantation in Harar because that's uh, she knows that that's my favorite coffee. Uh, so yeah yeah it has been for for quite some time now um so yeah so we we went to harar one fine day we our guide said that uh it would be the uh the afternoon that we would go to the plantation it was quite close to the town of harar in fact it was we probably could have walked there in about an hour or so wow but uh but we drove out Is it just a privately owned farm that you visited? Privately owned farm, family owned and operated. How big? I don't know exactly how many um, acres or square kilometers. It didn't look very big. Okay. I would venture to say, I mean, it would have had to have been less than 10 square kilometers, which... uh, I would imagine they've already harvested. If you were just there a few weeks ago, their harvest was over already. In fact, they hadn't. No, uh, no. There were there were cherries on the trees that were very ripe. I have oh, some wow. photos of them, which was pretty exciting for me to actually pick a few cherries. And so you got to pick a few cherries. Yeah, I picked two, and the first one I picked was a pea berry, which was wow neat. And that's uh, like a five percent chance. Yeah, there you go. So I think it's a sign. It is. So you actually you went to the farm and you got to, you actually got out 
to some was the trees in the field or just one growing in front of their house or something? No, trees in the field, walked around the field. Um the plantation that I went to was one that had apparently been flooded a couple of years previous oh. and has not recovered very well. Okay. So it was definitely not one of the best farms in the region. Did you, did you meet the owners? Um, uh very briefly kind they were of like, I who is this white devil walking <laughs> our property with the blonde hair? <laughs> Well, it would have been really nice to uh, have been able to speak Amharic, the local language, because our guide spoke with the owners and they obviously recognized him. And uh, I guess he must have just said, we're just going to go for a little tour of the of the plantation and bringing a blonde Scandinavian with me. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I stood out there. (laughs) P.S. I I stood out there. But, uh, yeah, they just sort of waved us in, just sort of, they're, they're kids. They had a couple of little guys running around who were curious about who ah, the visitors were. And, cool. Yeah, they just basically waved us on in. And, so so you got to see your first ever coffee cherry, too. Yep. yep. And what what surprised you about, forget, the pea berry was a surprise, but the second yep. one you picked, what, what, what surprised you about when you opened up that cherry? Uh, well, um, I had been told that there would be a small amount of fruit on it. So, yeah, I was... I immediately noticed that, yeah, wow, okay, that there's not a lot of fruit on this cherry. Um, Secondly, I suppose, uh, which you noticed as well as I was showing you some of the dried cherries I brought back, but yeah, that that in fact the two seeds of the cherry are quite separate from one another. Yeah. There's sort of a layer of, uh, well, I don't actually don't know. I call it like a husk. Yeah, I guess a husk. A husk that was sort of a layer between the two. Yeah. So I was really surprised at yeah, that. Uh, yeah. I, I always I always assumed that the two cherries kind of grew, you know, together in the middle like a pit. Yeah, yeah, but, stuck together. The seeds stuck together, but no. Yeah, and there wasn't, and and uh, it was just really interesting because when you when you eat the dried ones you brought. By the way, Angie gave me this really cool and unique gift. She gave me a cup full of dried coffee cherries. <laughs> As a, you bought it from some lady that was selling at a stand or something. Yeah, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, there uh, is a group of people called the Oromo people who live right near Harar. I guess I, I guess I should really say in Harar because um, I guess it's a fairly large region. But, uh, yeah, one of the ladies had picked these cherries that we're actually looking at right now. Yes, I'm <laughs> cracking one open right now. She'd picked them herself, dried them herself, and... Uh, she could see that I was a huge fan of coffee and just thrilled to be looking at the trees and like touching the cherries and whatever. Ugh, so cherries. Uh, <laughs> so she spoke to our guide um, because actually several uh, Oromo children and, and different ladies and stuff had started following us around at this point. And she said to our guide that she had some dried cherries and would I be interested in purchasing them? And I said, well, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm surprised you got these back through customs. I was wondering. Vegetables? <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if that was going to be a problem. But I just said I was bringing back coffee. Yeah, so <laughs> good for you. That's how I got through. But, but yeah, for Tenber, I, I bought a that buck. whole bag. Yeah. Yeah. And she that was probably a lot of money for her, too. Probably. Absolutely. When you think about the fact that uh, she would have to pile that this huge mound of sticks onto her head just to get three burr um you know saves her three trips into town so that's good so um a couple of things i notice when i crack these open first of all you know i've always heard about this mucilage or this like uh you hear about these outer skins on the bean and i always assumed that they were talking about the silver skin that comes off as chafe when you're roasting right right but we we noticed that 
or you, there's like a definite outer husk. Oh yeah. That's on top of the green the the, the green bean inside. Yeah. So there's like so many layers to this cherry. There's like the outer sort of fleshy fruit part, and then there's like this like this kind of husk like material in the middle that almost looks like um like a different. I, I don't even know how to describe it for well, for it's listeners. kind of yellowish when it dries. Yeah. And uh, and very you know crisp and, and and easy to break. And then inside is, you know, I love fruits and vegetables, especially fruits. And I've eaten fruits from around the world. I mean, from pomegranates to like every single variety of orange I could find and everything else. And I have never seen a seed inside a fruit that has such like amazing translucence and, and color. Like mm-hmm. it's not colorful, but there's a translucence to this, to the seed, to this, yeah. these beans. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's there's, true. And like we we looked at one earlier that was a defect and it was a hull shaped thing that I I'm gonna photograph it yeah, as a yeah. macro fo- photograph. It is quite beautiful, yeah. Even though you know to to the to the roaster, oh defect, but yeah, yeah. But they are actually each one is is a little bit different. And these are beautiful. like essentially other than the drying process that the whole cherry went through, these uh, coffee beans are completely unprocessed. That's right. Like we're, oh, yeah. we're picking them out right now yep. of the cherries. Yep. And just this translucent kind of earthy green color that they give off. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just amazing. And this is what makes it so unique. And what? which part is it that they call the pergamino? Is that the part that is that yellowy? That might be that outer uh, sort of semi-hard skin that you have to peel off. Yeah, I think that must be it, yeah. And then we have the silver skin, which I'm peeling off right now. Yeah, likewise. On yeah. this. <laughs> This is fun. I know. Somebody, so, somebody asked me if I was going to uh, de-husk them all and, and, and roast them, which would take a long time, as we can see, like when yeah. we're working them here. This, you know, I, I got You'd have to set up a little wa- water processing plant in your bathtub. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, I think it's a little bit harder when they're dried, too, to yeah. be honest. I think it'd probably be easier if the, the fruit was all fleshy and wet still. But isn't this how they actually deal with them in Ethiopia, I believe? Is really? That, yeah, that's how they... This is what I've been told, anyway, is that the reason that uh, Kenyan and uh, Ethiopian coffee has such a fruitiness to it is they typically dry these cherries in the sun oh cool so because the fruit dries right onto the seeds that's how they get this fruity flavor and then i guess it's a dry milling process as opposed to a wet it's like a brush it's like essentially process. like these really stiff almost wire-like brushes right okay that uh, the cherries go through and the brushes basically just kind of tear away the cherry and the the outer mucilage. Well, I'm glad to hear that they've got some kind of brushes because imagine doing this by hand. Oh yeah. <laughs> or you could always get work. like a an animal like the Kupiluak to oh, just well. eat them and then <laughs> deposit the cherries after they walk around. That's another story. That cost you some money. <laughs> we're, we're running really late now, okay. and there's one more thing. There's actually I want to talk one more thing about the Kenya yes. portion of your trip. So why don't you, in a couple of minutes, tell us about what you experienced in Kenya? Uh, in Kenya, unfortunately, I did not have the opportunity of visiting a farm. Uh, we did drive by one, <laughs> so I did get just a, a quick peek at some plants. But uh, apparently, it is extremely difficult to find a good cup of coffee in Kenya because yes. everybody loves to drink tea. Yes. And uh, so basically, they export all the good coffee, which is probably uh, also part of the reason you don't find good coffee there. They're just selling it to everybody else. But um, I was able to find an incredible cup of coffee at one of the uh, 
higher end resorts. My <laughs> my mum treated the two of us to uh, to a visit to uh, Watamu Bay um, and a resort called Turtle Bay. In fact, normally we don't stay at those swanky joints, but we'd had a pretty rough time there between the cockroaches and and uh, malaria infected mosquitoes. Oh so my gosh! For one night, we went to Turtle Bay, and let me tell you, the Kenya Double A coffee they served was outstanding yeah like, bright sparkly but the blackberry you expect from that kind of coffee absolutely yeah a beautiful fruitiness um semi-sweet but still that sort of sparkle from the acidity mm-hmm. and it was just wonderful so yeah really enjoyed that sounds awesome i'm actually chewing one of these dried cherries as you <laughs> as you discussed that <laughs> Well, Angie, I mean, it's amazing. Now, um, we're you're going to leave soon, and I'm going to go into the next segment. Actually, have you heard about uh, Brazil? And have you heard about Cup of Excellence and a certain record being broken in terms of a coffee bot? Oh, uh, a record being broken. No, I know about a little bit about Cup of Excellence, but uh, no. No, there was a Cup of Excellence. Uh, it was a week ago Monday. Okay. Uh, the Cup of Excellence auction for Brazil went on. Okay. And, um, you know, prior to the auction, I knew... I'd heard rumbles about the coffees going high and possibly as high as did you hear about the Panama Esmeralda from a year and a half ago that went for like over 21 bucks? Uh, Oh, you might've mentioned that before, but yeah. Okay. Well, that was the record then right? up till last Monday. And, um, you know, uh, people thought it might be broken and boy, was it broken because the top coffee, which I should point out was the highest ever scoring cup of excellence coffee for any country wow bravo yeah i mean uh in the finals two of the judges gave it 100 uh which was the, yeah and which in a cup of excellence you know international judging panel is absolutely unheard of yeah and uh overall i think it scored almost 96 points wow uh which i think is about a point point and a half higher than the panama scored okay, okay. uh years before and and um People thought, you know, you know, it might go for twenty twenty five. Well, it went for forty nine dollars and seventy five cents a pound, and that's green, that's wholesale, and that's still in Brazil. Oh. By the time that coffee's brought over to the buyer, um, you know, you you lose sixteen eighteen percent when you roast, packaging, waste costs when you're processing. We're talking a hundred dollar bag of coffee, hundred dollar oh. a pound coffee. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the whole rest of our show is going to be about this. I'm going to be talking to one of the buyers. His okay. name is Instrator. I, have you met him? I certainly have. And what yep. character, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Good guy. Oh, yeah. Amazing oh, guy. I was glad to have met him. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to see if I can get one of the international jurors on the phone. And um, one of them who I've talked to about this before is uh, Andrew Barnett from Echo Cafe. And I don't know if you know Andrew or not, but... Andrew is a WBC and USBC certified judge. He actually scored a hundred on the sensory skills test, uh, which is an impossible test to take. It just shows how good his palate is. I believe he's been on the international jury now for two years. And, uh, he also always manages to score some really coup coffees, like coup as in coop. Okay. Uh, like he always manages to score a bag or two. Like he'll, he'll buy some from, from Dwayne at uh, Stumptown or some from Jeff Watts at Intelligentsia or whoever. And he's just a tiny roaster down in, I think, Santa Rosa, California. Okay, I've been there. (laughs) Amazing, amazing palette, amazing roaster. Uh, And I'm going to get him on the phone and 
ask him, you know, what the hell were they thinking giving 100 <laughs> points to any coffee? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, is, 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 is the coffee world ready for a $100 pound of coffee? Like what, what, just Bree, you don't know much about it, but what's your take just on that overall? Do you think do you think we're ready for a hundred dollar pound of coffee? Well, it makes me think of a couple things. The first thing that pops into my mind is that uh, really, if we are to pay the pickers properly, uh, pay the people who take care of the milling and processing of the coffee properly, pay those farmers well. Yeah. We should probably be paying about a hundred bucks. <laughs> really? Well, I you think know, yeah, fifty dollars a pound. That would be the equivalent of paying a barista probably about fifty-five dollars an hour to do the job. Yeah, I get. Yeah, so I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there is. I believe that there is room for it. It seems a bit excessive. Um, I know that my experience with, well, of course, this is maybe a little different, but my experience with the Jamaican Blue Mountain. Coffee um, being sold at fifty dollars a pound roasted retail. Uh, yeah, 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 retail, retail. That is, yeah, so that's, yeah. So when that's, I say that, that's after roasted, after you count for all sorts of stuff. That's excessive to me. And but you know, JBM is all about name. Oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Whereas this coffee is all about taste. This is an unknown farm for the most part. The good thing about this coffee is the fact that. Obviously, the best cuppers in the world agree that it is an incredible coffee. Yeah. So at least you know that you are getting the quality. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's still a lot. It's, it's a still lot. an awful you know, lot of money. You know what my mean worry about? By the way, I am all about, um, I mean, like I've stated this so many times on the show and I state all the time on the website that my main job these days with Coffee Geek and with the podcast is to make people start thinking about coffee as a culinary item yes. and not a commodity or not a utility. Not mm-hmm. a, a tool to get you up in the morning. Right. You know, and yeah. so by, by I, when we use a lot of wine comparisons to sort of move that way. Like we talk about doing pairings with foods mm-hmm. for desserts and stuff with coffees. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go so far and say is have coffee with dinner. I just, I'm not there personally. I, I mm, Give me not, my wine with dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Dessert. <laughs> but for desserts, for sure. You mm-hmm. know, and I, yeah. I even think there's some coffees that could be um, paired with maybe a starter. Yeah, uh, yeah, meal. It depends on how it goes, but breads for sure. Yeah, I see. Yeah. yeah, or even cheese. Not so much cheeses, but like if you have any kind of sweet, savory food as an appetizer. Sure. I think coffee would go really well with that. But I digress. I mean, like I've, I'm really always a fan of anything that makes people think the way they think about wine today. If they start thinking about coffee in similar light. In yes. other words, it's like an individual thing. It's it's um it's a varietal. It's a single origin. Uh, different coffees from different region taste differently. Once we get the general public thinking that, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Where I worry about a hundred dollar pound of coffee is whether or not we're going too far. Mm-hmm. You know, and I used an analogy online that I'm gonna probably talk to any about later that uh, I I compared it to like supercars. You know, whereas uh, if if uh, your typical BMW 320 I is like your low end specialty coffee, like what you guys would sell at JJ for twelve or fourteen bucks. And then if you if if John Neat gets in something really special and fantastic that's a micro lot, uh, or or a cup of excellence coffee, but not a first place like a top five or top ten that he sells for twenty dollars a pound. That's kind of like the five series mm-hmm. BMW. It's still accessible. It's still reachable. It's it's not ostentatious. And then when we go to the real high end, the, the first, second, third place cup of excellence, typical, they may go for 25 bucks a pound, 30. I think it's still reachable, but now we're starting to make people think $30 a pound for coffee. And we have to convert them to saying this is very 
accessible and understandable because we're talking about the top products on the planet in this mm-hmm. food group. But then when we move up to a hundred dollars or even like sixty or eighty dollars a pound, I think we're gonna lose them because I think you know using the car equation, it's like the supercar. Like you know, outside of the car enthusiast com- community, what's the typical uh, Joe off the streets impression of someone who's driving a, f- a half million dollar Ferrari? You know, they're typical. To correct me if I'm wrong, but the typical impression is those guys have too much money to burn. And, <laughs> you know, that's too ostentatious, and that's just way too out there. And right. that's someone who's not making sensible decisions and right, stuff. Right. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of like for champagne, it's like drinking Cristal or something. Yeah. You know, you're but spending. But even then, like you know, let's go back. That's that's a good point. Like the thing is, if if you have a special anniversary coming up with your mm-hmm. your loved one or whatever, you'll go out and you'll buy like a Perrier and Juliet mm-hmm. for one hundred and fifty dollars or one hundred thirty dollars. Sure. Yeah. Or in my case, I'll go out and I'll buy like a nice thirty dollar bottle of of Tawny Port mm-hmm. that I'll pay mm-hmm. one hundred and twenty bucks for because it's a special occasion, right? Yeah, yeah. But where I draw the line again is if, you know, I had to buy a $500 bottle of champagne or a $400 bottle of port. Right. To yes. me, that would just be too much. And I'm I'm an aficionado when it comes to, like, at least the port side. Sure. For me, a yeah. $100 pound of bag of coffee, that's, that's, the, that's the $500 uh, champagne. That's right. the $750 yeah. port. That's the yeah. half million dollar supercar. Yeah. And yeah. I just worry that we'll lose more possible converts to the coffee is culinary thing than we'll gain. Okay. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? We're gonna we're gonna talk to Any and find out why. Because Any was the guy who led the charge, I believe, in 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 bidding. Okay. I think both uh, Vince and uh, with, with Cafe Ardigeno, who was another buyer of this coffee, and Michelle's Espresso, who Any is consulting with. We're basically along for the ride. I think Annie was making the decisions. Okay. And we're going to ask him, what made you decide to spend 50 bucks a pound on green? Sounds good. I'm curious yeah. to find out. So, Angie, thanks for coming by. Did you enjoy it? Oh, I loved it. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Mark. All right. Well, we're going to get in the next segment now. Thanks, Angie. Oh, okay. by the way, let's give a plug. Where do you work? Uh, JJ Bean House of Coffee. Uh, I work at the location on commercial drive at sixth avenue which is very close to me it's like five minute walk away <laughs> we're in the neighborhood that's right and uh, like i said you're the head trainer so pretty much anyway if you go to a jj anywhere in town and if you're really happy with the shot you got well angie's the person you could probably initially one of the people you could thank absolutely yeah <laughs> thanks angie you're welcome okay cool so uh we got angie out of the studio now and uh Oh, what am I going to do next? I think, you know, I think I'm going to call the guy who kind of spearheaded buying this coffee. Um, his name is Instarator. He's actually been on the show before. He's been an interview guest. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, uh, just brilliant guy on coffee. And I can tell you that if he uh, saw this Brazil as a possible coffee to buy and even pay almost $50 a pound for, there's there's definite reasons behind it. Before I get into that, though, on Thursday, January 19th, uh, I was honored again to, to be in uh, the New York Times. And the article was really good. I was actually really happy with the article because initially the, the reporter wanted to do the piece on espresso machines. And I managed to convince her to talk about grinders and she talked them up boy it was it was a really good article there was only one part that uh i was a bit misquoted in it's not a big deal but it kind of makes me sound like uh 
I'm not a Starbucks basher, but I'm also, you know, I have respect for Starbucks, but I'm certainly not a Starbucks lover, too. You know, I have a lot of respect for what they've done. And the part where it talks about me and Starbucks, it got kind of mangled, and I'm almost thinking that the editor did it. I just want to set the record straight on that. Uh, what I said to the reporter was that when I moved across Canada and I was kind of looking for cafe culture again, I arrived in Vancouver in 92, and at the time there were very few Starbucks here. and I'd certainly never heard of them before. And I was walking down West Broadway, and I happened upon a Starbucks that was at um, West Broadway and McDonald. And it was pretty busy. It was hopping. Um, I was about to go in, and I noticed the outside, all the tables were full. But there were a few single seats at some of the tables. And one of them, there was this guy in a three-piece suit that was sitting there, and he was just drinking his coffee. And uh, as I was about to go in, this guy in a mohawk and total punk rocker guy, you know, the chains, the, the, the jean jacket all torn up, everything, came out, looks left, looks right, and uh, sees the, the seat available at the three-piece suit table. And he uh, asked the guy, uh, you know, do you mind if I sit here? Three-piecer said, no problem. And within, like, seconds, the two of them actually started having a very friendly conversation. And, you know, I'm observing this, and I'm thinking, damn, this is cool. And it was, you know, that was one of the factors that made me end up staying in Vancouver was just, I couldn't believe that there was such a really good uh, kind of feel that, that these two completely diverse people could just pick up a conversation at a cafe. Like where I come from, uh, I was born and raised in Ottawa. People don't talk to each other very much in cafes there. I don't know if they do today, but they certainly didn't back then. You only talk to your friends. You certainly didn't talk to strangers. So, yeah. And then the other thing, too, um, I noticed that on uh, the 19th as well, I was in the Guardian newspaper in the United Kingdom and specifically this podcast was in there so it's pretty cool I actually like the way the guy was writing the article and especially the part he talked about coffee about the coffee geek podcast so it was pretty cool but anyways enough of that stuff you know what I'm going to switch microphones and I'm going to give my good buddy Instarator a call and we're going to figure out what's going on with this Brazil a bit hello hello any it's Mark Prince calling Mark great to talk to you again mate how you doing? Really good. How about yourself? Uh, pretty good. I've got you uh, on the podcast, and um, I just to let people know who you are. Your name is Instrator. You're very famous. You've been on the podcast before. You're one of the premier coffee guys in the world, but especially in Australia. And I believe you're associated with Michelle's Espresso again. Is that correct? Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually consulting back to them again now. Yep. And the reason why we're talking to you today, Annie, is because you just you, um, Cafe Artigiano and Michelle's Espresso just recently blew the, blew the crap out of the record for the highest paid coffee in a cup of excellence auction just a few days ago. Yeah, it's not my fault. It's the, it's the guy that bid five cents a pound less than me. He's, he's the guy, you know, pours it up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know who it was, but, you know, nobody remembers second, do they? True. So, so just so we set this uh, straight, the coffee was bought. I believe there's twelve commercial bags. Yep. It was bought for forty nine dollars and seventy five cents U.S. dollars per pound. Forty nine seventy five. Yep. And uh, what was the farm? Yeah, the farm was um, it's in the Sul Domenes area, and it's uh, Fazenda Santa Ines. Or the farm is Francisco Zadora Diaz Pereira. Not very good with my Portuguese accents. I'm sorry. Uh, it's okay. Neither am I. And uh, you had a chance. I you had a chance to try this coffee before the auction. Yeah. So with the cup of excellence, they send you out uh, where when you're a, 
a member of the Cup of Excellence, um, they send you out a sample of all the winning lots from um, each of the uh, auctions, yeah. Okay, and uh, you when you cupped it, uh, now also the international uh, jurors, this was the highest ranking in, in the Cup of Excellence uh, cupping session. Correct, yeah. So the international jury picked this as their number one uh, coffee, so that combined with uh, your personal tasting of the coffee, that made you decide to that you were going to get this coffee at any price? Well, obviously, you know, there's there's some limit. You can't pay, uh, you know, a million bucks for it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, I believe it was, uh, I, I thought it was a fantastic coffee and uh, and I was willing to um, pay as much as I could afford to get it. And uh, fortunately, the the other bidder dropped out, um, you know, while I could still afford it. Wow. Now, the, the, the buyer, there's three buyers, as I mentioned. There's Michelle's Espresso, yourself, listed separately, and Cafe Artigiano, first of all, what are your plans for your portion of that coffee? What are you, what are you, what are you going to do with it? Well, well I'm, I'm, as I said, con- consulting to Michelle. So some of it will go to, uh, most of it will actually go to Michelle's. And, uh, and they'll use it for their own program. And um, I was actually just talking to the uh, Michelle's people just when you called them, actually. So uh, they, um, they're they going to figure out a program of how they can get it to their customers and um uh, but the other people, there's other people I've been selling for. Cafe Artigiano is one. Now, do you intend to keep some of the coffee for yourself as well, like for your own purposes? Oh, sure, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I have a couple other um, projects that I'm working on, and uh, so some of that coffee can uh, will we'll go there. There's other other people involved, yep. Now, now we talked before off of the podcast, and uh, I think the first thing I said to you when you answered the phone was, who the hell buys $50 coffee? <laughs> and uh, you, you gave me, uh, well, you basically asked me to break down the cup cost. Sure. And why don't you do that again? Um, like, So you would you sort of see this as a $3 a cup coffee. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking, um, you know, in, in U.S. terms, but in, in uh, more international terms, so I think in kilos and grams. Right. So, you know, we're, I'm, I'm working on, say, 10 grams a cup, so 100 cups per kilo. Okay. And uh, there's a simpler calculation, obviously. So, you know, if uh, in Australian dollars, um, you know, it's just over $100 a kilo. So that's the, the raw price, the green price. And then the, the roast profile that we use will we'll lose probably about 17% of that in weight loss. So, uh, you know, so you can add on 20% to that cost. So I guess about, you know, 120 bucks, you know, roasted before you've put it in a pack and, and so on. But certainly, even if it's, um, you know, by the time we've had all our just sheer costs on, probably, you know, by the shipping costs, et cetera, and, and all the factory costs, you know, it might be as much as $190 uh, Australian a kilo, which is probably about, where would that be, about 160 or something US a kilo, something like that. Okay. Um, but that's only, uh, divided by 100 cups, it's only $1.60 a cup, you know, so uh, $1.60 extra per cup. Um, to taste a really outstanding coffee. I mean, it's, it's very affordable for somebody who's willing to um, pay a little bit more to, to try an extraordinary coffee. So that, that's how, you know, I broke it down in, in my mind. And, um, you know, you can charge an extra dollar or a couple of dollars on top and it's still, you know, if, even if it's, you know, I'm expecting to sell it for maybe $6 a cup. Um, so that means that people are selling it and probably making an extra buck, you know, for their trouble. And uh, and the consumer gets to try something for six bucks, you know. I mean, and when was the last time you went to a restaurant and, and you got a single glass of wine for under six bucks? 
I mean, it just doesn't happen, does it? Yeah, like nine dollars minimum. That's for pretty ordinary wine, maybe you know. Yeah, I. The thing is, though, is that I'm not. I'm not entirely sure that you know, because it's a coffee that, like, for instance, in North America, we're really only going to be able to try at a cafe artigiano. And I'm, I know Vince wants to promote the clover, so I'm sure he's probably going to almost see it as a lost leader. It's more of a, uh, you know, kind of an advertisement vehicle, and also just to promote the clover as a brewing device, and also just the fact that this is like a. Well, I think I think in the brief conversation, I haven't talked to, to him a lot about about his strategy for it, but uh, just in the brief bit I've, uh, you know, I've got from him, I think his strategy is going to be is similar to the way I was thinking of it. So he's thinking if he's normally charging the, the same. Process. You know, if you're normally charging three bucks a cup, he'll charge six dollars a cup. And anybody who wants to try an extraordinary coffee can come in and pay the extra few bucks and uh, and have an extraordinary experience. So, I think that's um, that's the way he's he's going to handle it. And I think that's a really good way of uh, uh, exposing people. You know, there's lots of well, there's not lots. There's there's more and more people coming out um, doing that sort of thing. I know that there's an Italian uh, espresso chain that's um, doing a similar sort of thing. Um, and they've expanded into North America, I believe. So I think it's just a, it's a new way of, of looking and thinking about coffee and um, and at long last, you know, saving those those fantastic coffees from being stuck in the huge, you know, multinational um, commodity-based um, cauldron. Okay. And the the thing is, well, I have to be honest with you, Andy, and, and I, I've already stated this online and you're probably going to get upset at me, but... I said it was excessive. But that's your job. <laughs> I said I, I said that I found even Esmeralda, the 2004, which went for $23, $24. I thought that that was a bit too much. And, you know, it was an awesome coffee, but some people were claiming it was like the best coffee they ever drank. And I kind of took issue with that because I didn't think it was the best coffee I had ever tried. And and then you know at the twenty four dollar price point I was like you know we're we're hitting the top echelon of what a coffee could go for and a lot of people in the industry were saying that and you guys paid more than double yeah look and I don't care <laughs> I, I, I probably would have paid more if the other bidder had gone up higher but I think it's the wrong way of looking at it I think if you if you keep coming back to the analogy of wines you know you're not necessarily expecting this coffee even to be the best coffee you've ever tasted in your life, but it will be the best Brazilian coffee for the 2006 vintage. Okay. That's the way it is. It's this year's vintage. That's a really good way of looking at it. The other point I, uh, thing, though, is uh, some wine analogies came up with this uh, Brazil, and the one thing I pointed out um, in, a, in a forum online recently was one thing that is really always left out of the wine versus coffee analogies is the fact that wine... Um, you know, ages well and improves with age generally, especially the big wines. Whereas coffee has got a short shelf life, and and you know, once it's roasted, you better use that within a week or like if, you know. If I know we've talked about you know some coffees lot being great 14 days after roast, but fact is, is that under two weeks, it's gone. Yeah, look, I think that's what uh, people used to say about wines. You know, a few hundred years ago when they kept them in wine skins and they didn't have the technological. Uh advantages of production and storage and um, transport that we have today. Right. Uh, and there's a whole lot of um, technological improvements. I mean, and if you look at the, the way coffee's handled, you know, it, it is probably a couple of hundred years behind. I mean, a burlap sack in wine terms is just laughable. Mm-hmm. So it's for transporting a, a raw um, commodity, well, not a commodity, a raw, you know, elite, <laughs> high-quality uh, product. You know, I'm doing some research 
with um, uh, somebody who you know well uh, in regards to, and we're actually just, we're going to get the government involved in um, in new transporting um, materials for raw coffee. Um, so I think that's that's probably an outdated way of looking at it. Okay. Well, I, you know what? Let's end the con- I, no more controversial stuff. I, first of all, I want to congratulate you too <laughs> because I mean this is a coup and oh yeah. You know, there is a certain notoriety from this, too. I mean, I know that when the Esmeralda went for such a high price, the group bought that bought it certainly got a lot of press and a lot of... And, you know, at the end of the day, they got exactly what they wanted. They got the public thinking about coffee as more than just a commodity. It was a culinary item. Exactly. Exactly, Mark. That's exactly... I had a, a phone call from um, one of the TV stations here in Sydney, and that's uh, yeah, that's exactly what I said to him. Exactly that those words. This is it's like I mean you know if we're going back to the wine analogy. You know I said what what we've done is it's like salvaging a grain hermitage from going in a big malt you know cask you know mass market vat. Yeah. You know? We've it's, it's a great it's a great coffee and it's and it's it's worth recognising that. And I think in that term in those terms, it's kind of a service to the whole coffee industry in, in you know getting it into the the modern era where it's not a commodity anymore. Oh, very cool. Well, anyways, any again, congratulations. Thanks, Lord. Uh, looking forward to see what uh, what you're going to do with this coffee. Sure. And also to see what the fallout is. I think it's you know it's exciting, but it's also going to be very controversial. Ah, oh, I love a bit of controversy. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, Annie. Good on you, Mark. Okay, bye bye. All right, so that was Instrator's take on. The Brazil coffee, and <laughs> he, he's the main buyer. My understanding was is that he was the one who uh, spearheaded buying this coffee and agreed to have Michelle's and uh, and Cafe Ardugano along. I'm recording this portion a couple of days after I re- interviewed any, and I've actually interviewed a few other people too. I talked to Andrew Barnett, who was on the international jury for that Brazil coffee, and I talked to Susie Spindler, uh, who heads up. Cup of Excellence. That's actually the organization that runs these things. Uh, you can find out more information about Cup of Excellence at cupofexcellence.org. Great site. I mean, you can go see the scores. You can join as a member. I believe it's only 100 or $200 a year, and you even get some, you get to participate in the, in the international jury if your cupping skills are mad enough. That's mad, not man. <laughs> And um, you also get to see really detailed cupping notes on all the coffees. Uh, it's it's pretty cool. I'm uh, going to be I'm actually joining Cup of Excellence. Uh, this is more in a support role because I'm not a green bean buyer or a roaster. I'm joining as a benefactor member because I truly believe in what Cup of Excellence is doing in terms of 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 you know really benefiting farmers and really bringing coffee to the forefront as a culinary item, as something that could be paired with foods, as something that will introduce a whole bevy of new flavors and nuances to to your tongue, even even the uneducated tongue. You know, if you sit next to an, an experienced um, cupper or co- coffee appreciator, that person can point out various tastes in coffee that may make you think twice about adding sugar and milk uh, to that beverage the next time you have it, especially if you have a cup of excellence coffee. Anyways, I did those two interviews, but this show is running so long. We're just about to hit 60 minutes into the show. I'm going to make it a part two. So this is part one of the Brazil Cup of Excellence record-breaking $50 a pound green coffee. And uh, I'm going to put up part two very soon, and I hope you enjoy it. So, folks, thanks again for listening. Uh, You know, just 
the comments and the feedback I get in the show, it just, it really, really humbles me and really makes me feel extremely good about what we're doing here. And I really um, enjoy doing the show. So I'm glad you like it because I certainly like doing it. Take care and I look forward to talking to you next time.